Last year, venture capitalists invested nearly $70 billion in startups across the country, but close to 80% of that capital went to founders in just three states, California, New York, and Massachusetts. Is the tech community to blame for middle America feeling left behind? This is Work in Progress. Keeping an American business alive, it's just not as easy anymore. I watch too much go wrong. There are not a lot of choices. The plank bill is not level. It certainly is a different America. There's opportunities here that are untapped. You have to go get them. I'm just hoping that something will eventually crop up and get my life started. Welcome to Work in Progress, a LinkedIn podcast on the future of the world of work. I'm your host, Caroline Fairchild, covering tech and startups for LinkedIn. And I'm LinkedIn managing editor Chip Cutter. I'm spending this year on the road talking to people about what it means to earn a living now. On this week's episode, we'll discuss the shortage of venture capital funding going to founders that aren't living on the coasts. Chip, as we speak, we're sitting on those coasts right now, opposite ones, in fact. I'm in LinkedIn's office in San Francisco, and you're in New York. Apart from us both paying an exorbitant amount in rent to work and live in these respective cities, both our homes have something else in common. They're huge startup hubs. I feel like I can't get through a happy hour or even an Uber pool ride. I'm not even kidding. This happened this morning without some startup founder trying to pitch me on his latest idea. Caroline, I can one-up you. I was at a coffee shop a couple of days ago, and I got the intimate details of someone's seed funding round, how much they were getting, who was investing in them, everything else too. These conversations are just happening everywhere. And it's funny that you say that these conversations are everywhere, but I feel like they're only everywhere for you and me because we work in these big startup hubs. But it's not like that for the rest of the country. I feel like the tech community was okay with that, right? They were okay with the fact that we were in these clusters on the coast kind of doing our thing. But now it's a completely different conversation. And the reason for that is President Trump was elected and the entire tech community was shell-shocked. It was as if they all felt like I immediately needed to leave San Francisco, New York, Boston, you name it, and figure out what's actually going on in the middle of the country. So now we're seeing bus tours and initiatives and efforts to really reconnect with the rest of the America. And that kind of drives me crazy. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. So I get frustrated when I see the middle of the country treated as an experiment, as something to gawk at, as something to let's make a visit and really understand the rest of the U.S. But it needs to happen. I mean, you want to see people there who have great ideas and are starting really interesting companies. You want to see them get recognized for what they're doing. Some of the top tech emerging hubs are places like Atlanta and Denver in Salt Lake City and Raleigh-Durham. I was actually just in Durham recently for my college reunion, Go Duke. And it's crazy to see how much that city has changed in the last five years. There's this whole community downtown all focused on entrepreneurship. It's almost an irrecognizable city from when I went to school there. Let's remember, this isn't just altruism. Investors think that they can find profits in these places, that there's good ideas, there's places where they can invest and ultimately try to get a return on what they're finding with these companies. But I still, I talk to entrepreneurs around the country in places like Kansas City and in Columbus, Ohio, and they say that there are still challenges that they're up against. One of them is just getting the attention of investors, but also just building companies in these places. I talked to Robbie Friedman, who started a company a couple years ago in Columbus, Ohio, called Viewabill. And the whole idea with this was that you had real-time data on how much your lawyers were billing you, so that when you saw a bill from your lawyers, you were never taken aback from it. And he had a lot of interesting thoughts on just what it was like to build that company in Columbus versus a more traditional startup hub. You don't have that built-in network of VCs where you know any VC is two phone calls away like you might have on the East Coast. 
And so what ends up happening is you end up having to sort of travel to the coast to talk to VCs. And, and it's sort of like 1849 sort of searching for gold when you go from the Midwest to the West Coast to, to find somebody to invest in your idea. And the second you tell them you're from Ohio, it's almost like they, they immediately are questioning your judgment because why would you possibly think that being from Ohio, you could have a, a startup idea? It's tremendously frustrating. I mean, even our existing investors, you know, would, would say to us all the time, like, eventually you're going to have to leave Ohio. You know, to get to that next step, you're going to have to leave Ohio. You're going to have to go to where the money is. And, you know, of course, it's frustrating because Ohio has a great foundation for startups, but it is what it is. You, you just have to deal with it. It's just another one of those challenges that you're continuously dealing with. And while most investors are just getting their head around the fact that they might need to leave the coast to invest in great ideas like Robbie's, our guest has been beating this drum for quite some time. Steve Case is the CEO and chairman of Revolution, a venture capital firm based in Washington, D.C., and most famously is the guy who brought America Online as co-founder of AOL. He's also the man behind Rise of the Rest, a nationwide effort to work closely with entrepreneurs in emerging startup ecosystems. Steve, thanks so much for joining us, and welcome to Work in Progress. Great to be with you. This entire conversation probably wouldn't be happening without you, so we'll thank you for that as well before we get started. I'm sure it would have, but thank you anyway. Your book, The Third Wave, recently came out as an extended version and takes the reader all the way back to the founding of the internet when AOL launched and brings them to where we are today with this concept that you're calling the third wave. A big part of the third wave is Rise of the Rest, this idea that we need to get out of the coasts and support entrepreneurship across the country. Your firm, Revolution, has traveled some 6,000 miles to cities like Omaha, Detroit, and Minneapolis in search of investment opportunities. What prompted you to start this campaign and what's come of it so far? The data is pretty sobering. Even last year, about 78% of venture capital went to just three states. California, New York, and Massachusetts, about 90% of capital went to men, only 10% to women, about 1% went to African-American, about 1% went to Latinos. So right now, the playing field is not level. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter what you look like. And we want to change that uh, by trying to create more opportunity for more entrepreneurs and more places. We think it's smart as investors, frankly, because the companies in these rise risk cities, the valuations are lower because on, on average, about 35% lower uh, because there's fewer investors paying attention. So as an investor, you can make better returns, we think, in these rise the rest cities. But it's also helpful as a way to create more jobs and hope and opportunity in these cities. And we saw some of the dynamics in this past presidential election. There are a lot of people do feel kind of left out, left behind by digitization, by globalization. They're fearful of the future. And part of that is because we've been investing in entrepreneurs in a few places that are like Silicon Valley that are often disrupting you know, jobs in other places, including the middle of the country. But we're not offsetting that by by investing the entrepreneurs in those other places, in those rise of the rest Absolutely. cities to create jobs there. And so we have to figure out some way to reverse that trend. How is that concentration of wealth that you started talking about, given how much capital is going not only to startups within the three states, New York, California, Massachusetts, but also, frankly, startup founders that look a certain way? Right. How does that impacting where founders decide to live and work? Are you finding when you go to these cities that startups Startup founders are having an okay time starting businesses where there might not be as much capital investment? 
They're having an okay time, but it could be easier. They generally do, you know, when you're in San Francisco or New York, people talk about how the markets are a little frothy and how easy it is to raise capital. You don't hear that in most of the country. It's still hard to raise capital. It's still hard to get people to pay attention to what an entrepreneur is doing in some of these places. So I think that's part of the reason we're trying to create Rise the Rest as more of a movement and not just focus on what we're doing as investors at Revolution, but get other investors paying attention to what's happening in these places. But I also think it ties in directly with the, the third way because the the opportunities in this third way and the ability to connect innovation in sectors like healthcare, education, think about agriculture, places like that. Some of the domain expertise, some of the perspective is in the rest of the country. And Steve, I talked to one of those off the coast founders. Uh, his name is Michael Ray. He started RX Saving Solutions. It's a company that helps employers and insurers find cheaper pr- prescription drug prices. Uh, the company is based in the Kansas City area. And one of the big challenges, he said, is that there's just a lack of ecosystem there to help entrepreneurs like him. From an ecosystem standpoint, if you really look at, um, you know, talking generalities about Kansas City, um, just because that's what I know, but I would I would guess that it's probably the same in most Midwestern cities. Um, you know, part of the reason the, the coastal regions, especially Silicon Valley, has thrived is because they had entrepreneurs before them in the same space. Um, who are successful, reinvested the capital, and understand the mechanics of a software business. Um, that's very different than you know somebody who was very successful manufacturing or in a different industry. And so I think that the reason for the lag uh, is is because of those you know we don't we don't have that system um, of people that have gone before us um, nearly like they do in you know Boston, New York, or or Silicon Valley. So I think that that's the that's the primary piece, you know, from from things little, little things like how to value the business. So Steve, I'm curious to get your take on that. How do you kind of overcome that problem of just not being surrounded by companies like your own, not having that ecosystem there? Well, I, I agree with that. I mean, Kansas City had been to a bunch of times, and actually some interesting things happening there because of the Kauffman Foundation, which focuses on entrepreneurship and Sprint, which is based there. But there's still a lot of challenges in Kansas City and many other parts of the country. We call these rise of the rest cities in terms of creating a ecosystem where, where the bigger companies are mentors to and partners with and sometimes investors in uh, the entrepreneurs and, and people uh, throughout the community really are celebrating you know, the entrepreneurs and it really becomes a magnet for for capital and magnet for talent. The one, one area where I maybe disagree a little bit is in most of these cities we visited, there actually is a lot of capital from former entrepreneurs. It just might've been entrepreneurs from hundred years ago who often are not you know, focusing on the current generation of entrepreneurs. So part of our effort with the Rise of the Rest is to get some of that capital off the sidelines. That, that some of the iconic companies that helped build these cities, so these Rise of the Rest cities all have a, a great history. Pittsburgh, for example, used to be the steel capital powering the industrial revolution. Detroit used to be the car capital when the automobile was the hot technology of the day. Each, each of these cities have a backstory, and there is significant wealth in those cities, and that wealth came from entrepreneurs one, two, three generations ago. We just need to pull them into the future and have them be part of supporting their ecosystems uh, and not have the entrepreneurs in these places have to go elsewhere, often to the coast, to, to get their capital, because sometimes the coastal investors, such as in Silicon Valley, will say, well, we'll invest in you, but only if you'll move from Kansas City to, to Palo Alto, and then, then 
Kansas City loses that opportunity. And the one encouraging thing I, I, we have seen in the cities we visited is we're beginning to see the slow of a brain drain that absolutely has happened over the last 10 or 20 years of the folks who maybe grew up in Kansas City or grew up in Des Moines or grew up in Detroit or wherever felt like if they wanted to pursue entrepreneurship, wanted to be involved in technology, they should move to Silicon Valley or New York or some other place. That's beginning to slow. More people are staying there when they're graduating from colleges and universities. Let's talk a little bit more about that brain drain. We know from LinkedIn data that workers are leaving cities like Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Oklahoma City, and Greensboro for cities with maybe not the coast, but cities with lower costs of living and more job opportunities like Austin or Seattle or Denver. We're still seeing that in the numbers, but you're saying that you think that that trend is lessening, that we won't be seeing that for much longer. What's often happening is people are in a state like Pennsylvania are moving out of some of the smaller towns, some of the villages into the city. So Pittsburgh and Philadelphia become sort of magnets for the region. Those cities are starting to do better. Pittsburgh, for example, is doing quite well. Even Uber is building their driverless car operations largely in Pittsburgh, not in Silicon Valley because the expertise in that case of Carnegie Mellon. So that's one dynamic kind of going on. There is clearly a benefit of critical mass and therefore a movement to cities. We're seeing that all over the country, indeed all over the world. The question is, do they feel like they have to leave Pennsylvania altogether to go to California or New York? Ten years ago, most did. uh, And that's why you saw that brain drain. I think you're beginning to see that slow. And as these cities grow and there's more iconic companies that are emerging, like an Under Armour and in Baltimore now has 1,000 employees or Exact Target, which was acquired by Salesforce Indianapolis, are coming up on 2,000 employees in, in Indianapolis. You start seeing these successes happening. That starts leading people to say, maybe I don't have to move away. And, and also starts leading some people to say, maybe it's time to you know, come back. We saw this phenomenon in India 20, 30 years ago. You know, some of the best and brightest uh, left India to, to move to the United States, get education. Often they moved to Silicon Valley or some other place to forge their career. About 10, 15 years ago, they started moving back to India because the, suddenly the, the sense was the opportunity in India was quite significant. And rather than, you know, than you know, plus they kind of wanted to go home. And so we're, we're hoping we'll see that same dynamic within this country in these rise of the rest cities over the coming decade. And actually, in talking to entrepreneurs, they say that they actually already see that. Here's Michael Ray again from Kansas City talking about the difference he's noticing in his own talent right now. We've had less and less trouble getting engineers. And I think the really cool thing about it is, you know, they see the, they see the success of the business that we're operating. Um, but they also have a bit of a chip on their shoulder to prove that we can do just as good or better here in Kansas City than, you know, than they can on the coast. So, Steve, do you really feel like founders who aren't based on the coast really do have that chip on their shoulder like Michael was talking about? I mean, a lot of what you are doing might be perceived as impact investing to both the founders as well as the rest of the world. You're going into these cities where there isn't a lot of capital and writing several hundred thousand dollar checks. But I'd like to hear from you why you see this as an investment strategy and not just like you're throwing capital and attempt to build these ecosystems without much concern for your return. No, we're very focused on the returns. We are investors and, and we are trying to demonstrate that there are great investment opportunities in these rise to the rest you know, cities. You know, the data, you know, it's pretty compelling, that particularly at the seed stage, valuations in rise to the rest cities on average about 35% lower than if those same companies were in San Francisco or New York or Boston. And the reason for that is, 
you know, pretty obvious. Most investors in those places are just investing in companies they can drive to kind of in their backyard. As a result, there's a lot more competition and, and you know, essentially entrepreneurs are able to get better valuations because there's so many investors are clamoring to get into those deals. They're really not, they have a very tight network, uh, limited often by geography, limited often by people they you know knew or went to school with or worked with in, in the past. And that leaves a lot of people out. As a result, uh, it creates opportunity for investors who are you know, willing to work a little harder and you know, actually have to get on a plane instead of getting in a car to visit you know, the entrepreneurs. But starting with a 35% discount, if you will, it's almost like in rise of risk cities as investor, you can buy wholesale. When the companies are successful, you sell retail. When the companies go public, like uh, you know, recently with Under Armour or, or Snap or others, nobody says, well, Under Armour is in Baltimore or, or Snap is in Los Angeles. We should have a discount because they're not in you know, Silicon Valley. It, 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 or if the companies are acquired, like as I mentioned, when Exact Target got acquired by Salesforce, Salesforce paid full price. But the investors willing to back Exact Target Indianapolis when it was getting started essentially were able to invest at, at a discount. So that's the core investment. Same time, we do believe one of the key efforts why we think of the rise of rest is not just an investment strategy, which it is, but also a kind of a broader movement. When you talk about this movement, you know, a lot of the cities that you're visiting, a lot that I'm going to, are home to communities that largely voted for Trump. If you could advise the president on how best to serve these communities from an entrepreneurial standpoint, what would you say? First of all, I would point out that the reason President Trump is President Trump is largely because people in many of these communities do feel left out, do feel left behind. And so focusing on that aspect is critically important. If you look at the, you know, the data there, about 85 percent of you know, venture capital last year went to the states that Hillary Clinton won. Only about 15 percent went to the states Donald Trump won. So that, that also shows there's sort of two Americas. And it's not surprising that in many parts of the country that were the states that really you know kind of pulled things out for Trump, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, places like that. Those are places where don't get much venture capital. So there's not a lot of job creation. They have seen the downside of, of entrepreneurial disruption you know, as uh, companies created in places like Silicon Valley have, have, have destroyed some of the jobs in their communities, but they have not seen that offset by investments in their own communities, backing startups in their own communities that can create jobs in, in, in their own communities. So it, it, that is why he is the president. And therefore, it would strike me as a real priority to figure out a way to shine a spotlight on the entrepreneurs in, in the middle of country, create investment incentives, maybe back something like the Investing in Opportunity Act has been introduced in a bipartisan way by Congress, which creates some capital gains incentives to invest in these these regions, invest in these rise of the rest of the city. So, if, you know, I think the president should make job creation uh, in the middle of the country a priority. That, so far, that focuses on maybe keeping a factory from closing or something like that, which is fine. But the only sustainable answer is to back the entrepreneurs that are going to create the jobs of tomorrow. I don't think we can turn back the clock. We need to lean into the future. And the best way to do that is to be more inclusive in terms of the entrepreneurs we back and figure out ways from a policy standpoint and even an evangelism champion standpoint, using the White House as a bully pulpit to really celebrate the entrepreneurs in Detroit and Pittsburgh and Des Moines and New Orleans and Albuquerque and in Phoenix, places like that, not just celebrate the entrepreneurs in San Francisco, New York and, and Boston. This has been a great conversation, Steve. But before I let you go, I need to ask you about this hilarious anecdote that was in the third wave where you're talking about how when AOL first launched, you were in an interview and had to kind of explain to the interviewer the importance of the internet, why we should even care about it. So I wanted to ask you, 
what are the ridiculous questions that founders are being asked today that, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to look back and say that was such, like, of course, that was important. And of course, what they're doing was something we should focus on. The quote you referenced was in 1995, a decade after we got started, I was asked by PBS, why would anybody really you know, need the Internet? You know, of course, now that seems silly. But 20 years ago, it seemed like the Internet was sort of a fringy phenomenon. You know, there's a lot of skepticism. They don't, you know, people don't really believe in their ideas, don't really believe they can you know, build companies, don't really believe that these cities around the country will rise and become strong startup ecosystems. I have a similar confidence that I had 20 years ago when people were skeptical about the internet. I hear the skepticism about these rise of the rest cities, but trust me, you know, 20 years from now, you know, we'll have a more you know, inclusive innovation economy. Many of these cities will have risen and we'll have a much stronger country where there's job creation everywhere and we'll have great iconic entrepreneurial companies in parts of the country that right now would surprise a lot of people. It's going to happen. We're just trying to figure out ways we can help accelerate it so it happens a little faster and it impacts more people in more places. Well, I hope for the sake of the American worker that you are right, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It's great. That was Revolution CEO Steve Case talking to us about the shortage of funding going to businesses outside of the major tech hubs. Chip, the end of our conversation with Steve really centered on this idea that we are living in two different Americas. Is that the feeling that you're getting when you go to places like East Liverpool, Ohio, and Omaha? It really is. You talk to people there, they use that exact phrase, that they feel like they are left behind or that they're angry, that they feel like they've seen their communities and what they once were, and they feel like they're just not getting the support they need. It's something that just keeps coming up where people say, I just see all these opportunities in big cities on the coast. And I feel like there's just isn't that where I live. And there's a lot of frustration there. I guess we're supposed to be somewhat assured by the fact that now tons of prominent tech execs are leaving the coast and hitting the road to kind of get a glimpse of what you are seeing and what Steve has been seeing for years in the middle of the country. Most famously, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg started his tour across Middle America, visiting families in places like Fort Bragg, North Carolina and Blanchardville, Wisconsin. If you haven't seen the photos all over the internet of Zuckerberg doing things like feeding goats and riding a tractor, you truly are missing out. (laughs) But in all seriousness, is there a chance that the tech community's exodus from the coast will actually lead to change? I'm really skeptical. I think the intention is there and this is the right step, but let's look at the numbers. I mean, still the vast majority of funding is happening in three places. I'm hopeful for people like Michael Ray and others that this is the start of something, that we do see much more attention placed in the middle of the country, but it's gonna take a long time for us to get there, that this is the start of something, but it's gonna be years before we see a significant turnaround in in some of these funding numbers. And it is a start of something. It's a start of something really good. And I almost equate the discussion that we're having right now to the early days around talking about how we can get more female founders, more founders of different racial backgrounds, funding. That conversation has been going around for a longer time here in Silicon Valley. And now we're adding this geographical component to the discussion. I'm hopeful that they get it right, that for once we're going to see some positive movement and the numbers won't be what they are today a few years from now. Journalist skepticism aside, I'm hopeful that, yes, this is the start of a change and that these people don't feel so isolated, that they do get more attention for what they're doing and for their great ideas. Chip Cutter from Cincinnati, Ohio, and Caroline Fairchild from Sun Valley, Idaho. We are skeptical, but optimistic that there's going to be change. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you are hearing, please feel free to rate and review our show on iTunes. And we'd love for you to share your thoughts on the podcast as and the issues that we're discussing on LinkedIn using hashtag work in progress. You can find me on LinkedIn at Caroline Fairchild and Twitter at CFair1. And to follow Chip Cutter and his journey around the country talking to today's workers, follow him on LinkedIn and Twitter as well at Chip Cutter. This show is produced by Florencia Ariando and David Pond. We'll see you next week.